Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I guess welcome to the Beyond Meat podcast. (laughs) More than just meat. More than just meat. meat. (laughs) Welcome to the More Than Just Meat podcast. My name is Timothy and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by... Hi, Melifus. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, because you didn't say the... Uh... All right, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 204 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by, wait for it, Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Hopefully it's not a sad puppy because I didn't call him first. All right. So um, so do we have any Ask MTJC, Jaime? We do. We got one from a friend of the show and sometimes co-host Greg Heo, who has uh, overdue follow-up. The uh-huh. uh, the map showing parts of the USA that are north of Toronto, which is Yay. surprising, actually. Like, like I think we've talked about in the show that Seattle is well north of, uh, of Toronto. Yeah. But I didn't realize how much of the U.S. is above. So I'll try to make it easier for folks because um, this is not a visual format. So all of Washington State, all of Montana, most of Idaho, I'm going to call it like 60% of Oregon. Uh, one of the Dakotas and almost both of them are, are north. Uh, Minnesota, mm-hmm. most of Wisconsin. Um, I'm going to call it 99 and five nines of Maine. Um, surprising amount. Surprising amount. Is, yeah, some of New York as well. Uh, and what's surprising, too, is that is yeah. how much of Canada is north of Toronto. Like, like there's just a little triangle over there uh, from Lake Erie, uh, just to the tip of, I guess, uh, the bottom of um, that's Lake Huron on the side there. And of course, half of Lake Ontario um, is is north of Toronto. Weird. Yeah, I would. Who knew? I don't know if there's like unintentional Canadian controversy I'm stepping into, so I apologize for this landmine. But looking at the shape of Ontario, and mm-hmm. just given what I know about the size of Toronto, it almost feels like you guys should be your own province. Like you know that. Well, here, so for those people in Toronto, they're going, what are you talking about? But for those of people, and I, I worked in Vancouver for a while and I've been to Calgary, and we, people in Toronto talk about Toronto so much that people in the other provinces are like, okay, 
go back to Toronto already. Um, but the population of the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, there's more people living within that concentrated area space than there is in, in most provinces, including like British Columbia, which is a pretty big province, right? So, like, you know, we're, uh, I'm not sure what it is, two and a half, maybe three million people in this area. We'll have to look it up for another fact check for next week, I guess. But there's more people in Toronto proper than there are in all of British Columbia. So you're right. We I should almost be like a like a Toronto DC kind of thing, right? Or whatever. I don't, I don't know why they call Washington DC District of Columbia. Do you guys know? I don't recall off the top of my head why it's called District of Columbia. And why why is why is Washington its own like 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 the Vatican? Why is it its own state or whatever? Well, it's not a state. Oh, it's not. It's not a state. So it doesn't have senators. It, it does have some representatives because those are based on population. But it's not a state. Uh, the idea was that in the early days the states were you know, the the there was in the early days the straight the states were a lot more powerful powerful relative to the federal government than there is now. Right, yeah. And the states yeah. were all kind of counterbalanced against each other. So the idea was to make the capital something that wasn't part of any state. Oh, I see. So okay, it so it's independent. independent. Like the Vatican is part of Rome, right? <laughs> the own country or whatever. Yeah, interesting. Yes. Yeah, I just use that as a. As yeah. a it just immediately came to me. But yeah, like Toronto. I mean, Toronto is the capital of Ontario, so technically, I guess it couldn't be its own province. But yes, yeah, so I wasn't talking of, Toronto alone, but just sort of you know, it's kind of unsatisfying the shape of Ontario. I'm like, yeah, if you took you know, uh, let's say we're like in between these two Great Lakes, just like chop it off right there, and you'd have a, a pretty good sizable Ontario, and then you'd have this Toronto bit that you could just have be your own. Well, that's what I was joking about. The, the if you look at the 49th parallel, which is on this map very clear, right? You can see it's a pretty straight line between you know the western provinces of Canada and, and, and Manitoba, and then it's like they dropped the pencil and kind of went scooting down the lakes, like you said, split the lakes in half, right? Last week, and um, if you look at the shape of Ontario, it's almost like a pig's nose, like the like where the snout is, and that's that's where in fact I live, is I live on the tip of the nose, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, it's always sort of looked like maybe sort of a distorted elephant's face, you know, or elephant's head, whatever. And and it's amazing, like how many people like where that red line that Greg's got on this map for the apologies for people living at home and that sort of little triangle there that's where most of the people in ontario live like northern ontario is is pretty pretty sparse and that's again we were coming back to what we were talking about how to how to survive a zombie apocalypse was would be just move north <laughs> you know new th- and move north into northern ontario and same thing is true with i mean i drove across canada when i took that job in vancouver because i wanted to see how big the country was right and there's a lot of um empty space like farms and what have you ranches and things like that between the major cities and the one thing was surprisingly common was wherever there's like a large uh, river or lake or something like that, that's kind of sort of where they stopped and build a big settlement that which became these capital cities for the other provinces. Like, I, I, I don't know, have you guys been ever been to the prairies in, in the States? Or I don't like, what do you call the prairies in the States? Do you have prairies? There? Prairies. Yeah. yeah. And they're kind of just flat open, you know, flat, you know, fields of wheat and all that kind of stuff. I, I would assume like we are up here in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of cattle and sheep and stuff. Yeah, there are nervous sheep enormous areas of nothing um, other than what you just described in parts of texas because texas is is so big that it it has prairies and it has desert has all sorts of stuff yeah yeah interesting stuff yeah it's i mean it's cool cool uh about that so which leads us into um the the fact check which um i had said last week uh, i was talking about i got confused about northwest northwest territories i haven't been in a geography class in like 40 some odd years so please forgive me but yeah oh man i mean I, i totally got it wrong there is still in Northwest Territories 
and Nunavut, which is uh, Hudson's Bay and, and a lot of the islands around northern Canada, um, north of Ontario, is in fact, right, um, is the Yukon Territories, right? So there, those three provinces or three territories are still exist. And the difference between them is that the provinces, those 10 provinces I, I didn't name, but I mentioned, were all, um, like Mark was just saying about the, the states, uh, under the Constitution Act of, of 1867, which is our founding year. And um, they get their, their power from there. And the federal government kind of uh, has control, or the Parliament of Canada has control over, it's delegated to the Parliament by the territorial governments, right? So I guess they don't have premiers and, you know, like we do. We have ministers of Parliament, which are like our House of Representatives, right? And then we have uh, premiers, which is like the head guy of, I guess, like the equivalent of governor in the United States. And then we have our prime minister, who is the, I don't want to put him in the same category as the president, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Anywho, that's the, the fact check about that. Now, I forget when that was, but I was it was completely mistaken. And I did put a link in last week's show notes uh, from Wikipedia about the provinces and territories of Canada, and I'll link that back in this week as well. For anybody who cares, probably nobody. Well, I'm looking at the Nunavut uh, Wikipedia page and the largest community by population in Nunavut. Why don't you just guess what the what the population of it is? The largest population? I'm going to go with 5,000 people. Pretty close. 7,000 people. Seven. That's yeah, the largest community in the, in the entire province. Yeah, it's actually, unfortunately for, I mean, it's basically a lot of, um, what do we call them? First Nations, right? That's mm-hmm. the proper, that's the latest terminology for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, they don't have a lot going for them. I mean, um, you know, they, they live in pretty, pretty dire circumstances and there's a lot of problem with youth suicides and things like that. And, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of calls for the government to help them, you know, sort of get, survive better. It's, it's pretty sparse. And again, um, not to make light of it, but that's why, you know, surviving a zombie apocalypse by moving up there, there's a lot of space up there. For you should, people you should to, buy some, uh, beachfront property on the Hudson Bay because it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, a resort. Well, in a few, yeah, it'll be tropical. There'll yeah. be like pine trees growing exactly. there in a few yeah. years, I'm sure. And a good place yeah. to hide from the zombies, too. Well, it's true. Like, you know, it, it, we joke about that, too, but or we don't joke about that because the polar bears, which live up there, are, are having a tough time because the they used to they used to hunt on the ice floes. They would, they would hunt seal and stuff like that on the ice floes. And they're finding that these polar bears are now running through marshy grass, you know, like because like, all the, the, the glaciers are receding and things like that, right? Not that there's any climate change happening at all because, you know, that's all fake news, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's all kinds of uh, polar bears need help too. Anywho, let's let's talk about some technology for a change. How about that? Well, so, Jaime, do you have any follow-up for us? Uh, yeah, I I called this follow-up to the marzipan stuff because it's not stated in the mm-hmm. article, but I'm going to assume that it's marzipan related. And that is that uh, Adobe apparently plans to bring a full version of Photoshop to the iPad next year. And right. uh, my assumption here is that they're, you know, they're close enough as a company to, to Apple and that they might have gotten a little bit of that preview magic. And maybe they're uh, already doing the sorts of things that Apple itself is already doing and in, in dog fooding its own um, marzipan uh, cross Mac slash iOS um, framework thing that they described at WWDC this year. But it's the other um, direction, though, right? So the stuff that Apple's been talking about is just having UI kit run on the Mac. Yeah, yeah, but I assume that it was like, I don't think that they're building a totally separate one for this. I assume it was uh, convergence related because you're right. It, it is going the opposite direction. Um, but I assume that it was possible because oh look here's all this shared stuff that we can use mm-hmm. well sort of in the in the spirit of ios adobe does already have a lot of smaller app 
apps that work on the phone and on the iPad. I have most of them. You know, there's there's like a, a drawing app, Illustrator. There's design apps. There's color studios. There's web tools. Um, most of them tie into Creative Cloud, which is the the subscription based version of Adobe's products, right? So you can you can start a drawing in in Adobe Draw Adobe Illustrator. It used to be called Adobe Draw, but Adobe Illustrator on the iPad, and you can share it with your iCloud account, and it goes in there, and then you can open it up in Photoshop, and it's got it'll be have all the Photoshop layers and things like that in it, right? So it's not that Photoshop doesn't already, or sorry, because uh, there actually is there is a Photoshop version that runs on the iPad and the iPhone now, but it's a very limited, like in this, like I said, in the spirit of an iOS app, it's 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 very limited and it's very focused in what it does. Adobe Photoshop does a ton of different things, like video editing and 3D and all that kind of stuff on the desktop, right? So, but what what's interesting to me as a sort of semi Photoshop user is that, and Photoshop subscription is it's nine ninety nine a month, apparent according to this this article here. I thought it was more like twenty dollars a month, but um, you know, for those of us who would have, I I paid for my last version of Photoshop. I paid eight or nine hundred dollars for it, and that was like you know CS6, and now they've moved on to this, you know, pay by the month and get all the updates kind of version. And again, it behooves you if you're in that sort of world to um, to have these this subscription because now you'll be able to use Photoshop on your device, on your, your iPad, and you'll be able to save it to the, the Creative Cloud and then o- open it and finish it on the desktop. And it'll be, um, I think it'll be like feature to feature compatible, as more compatible, more compatible than, than the Adobe tools are now, right? So it's going to be like, it, it, to me, it, it would be like a kitchen sync kind of app in terms of features, right? Um, because Photoshop, like I said, has a lot of different tools and people use it for a lot of different things, right? Different different mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. verticals, right? Yeah, and I, I assume that the driver for this is not only to try to grow their, their market share because they're you know, there definitely are people using their iPad Pros for pro things, uh, especially in the, the kind of stuff that Photoshop tends to do. And right, yeah. I'm struggling here to find the uh, exact links, but um, Tammy's pick or picks yeah. related to this. You know, the competitors of like, wow, look at this thing. It's like Photoshop on the iPad. Yeah. There's uh, it's a, like Manga Studio or something. Yeah, like, there's, there's probably a, yeah it is actually too. Manga Studio you're talking about, but, uh, or one of those tools. Because um, I, I downloaded it after she talked about it on the show. And, and to be honest with you, all it was to me, and no disrespect to Tammy, but to me, it was just a port of the of the desktop app to to the iPad. Now, Tammy thought that was fine. To me, I thought it defeats the whole purpose of all the human interface guidelines stuff. Like it's got pull down menus and dialog boxes, just like a desktop app. So to me, it's it's like it's a bad execution of of something like that. But what's interesting though, and, and my pick is going to talk about a, 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 a companion app to this, but um, Affinity people, the company called Affinity, they uh, I forgot the, the original name, but they've been in the desktop and sort of Photoshop and InDesign and Cork Express kind of publishing market for a long time. Last year, they brought out um, one of my picks was Affinity Photo, right? And Affinity Photo is a Photoshop competitor, right? And it's a very full-featured app. It's got, you know, layers and uh, filters and things like that. And I think from my perspective, I think that um, Adobe may be concerned about um, that those type of products, you know, eating away at their business, right? Because, I mean, for you can buy it for I don't know. I think it's twenty dollars on special right now, special price, and then maybe forty dollars as, as a as a one time purchase, right? Not a subscription purchase, purchase, right? So there are going to be more and more tools that are going to be able to take.
on Photoshop, at least partially, right? I think that may be what, what Adobe's worried about. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be very curious to see what they end up doing because you're describing uh, the, hey, they just took this desktop app and threw it right up on, on a touch device. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the Mango one or whatever. Yeah, I, w- I would think the difference between your thoughts of it and Tammy's thoughts are probably that um, it's janky but functional. Yeah. And I think that seems to be fine for Tammy and yeah. it, it uh, doesn't work so well for you. And, and so I'll be very curious to see if they end up doing anything that is a little bit more touch uh, touch UI friendly uh, for this version of the Adobe Photoshop on iPad. Or if it's like, yep, yeah, whatever, <laughs> it runs, <laughs> go for it. Give us your nine ninety nine yeah. a month, you know, that sort of thing. So for those of you playing along at home, I just opened my creative folder on my, on my iPad. So I've got PS Express, which is sort of a, a Photoshop. It's like I stopped using Photoshop Express a while ago, or PS Express a while ago, because now Photos does a lot of what PS Express used. I used to use for cropping images, for putting on Instagram and, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that. Adobe Draw is the, the is the Illustrator, like the drawing type app, right? There's another one called F- Adobe Sketch, which is sort of a competitor to like Paper or, um, what's the other one I've got here? The Autodesk one, I can't remember, oh, Sketchbook. Um, another app they have is Adobe Comp, where you can play, you can do like, like it actually can do uh, um, iPhone layouts, like if you want to do design layouts for your devices, got tools in there. There's one called Photoshop Mix, which is like uses is some of the layering uh, functionality and cloning stuff that I talked about. Um, I'm trying to remember this. Of course, I've got Pixamator, which is a different one. But yeah, I think, I don't know if I, I thought I downloaded the app that, that Tammy picked for her um, her pick. I think it was Manga Studio or something like that. What do you use for a vector graphics tool, if anything? So uh, it's it, I find it difficult to do vector graphics on the iOS devices, but I do have, a, an, I have an app called Graphic, which I've forgotten the name. They had It's changed its name. And there's another one called Bez, which is B-E-Z, right? And they both have Bezier tools. And then my pick, which I'm going to talk about later, is Designer, um, which just came out last week, and I think it may still be on special half price and, as an introductory price. But it does; it's it's an, an Adobe Illustrator competitor, right? So it has Bezier tools as well. So yeah, so that's what that's what I use for that. If I, but I, I still I still tend to do um, what I tend to do actually. If I'm ever going to work on the iPad and I'm going to work on my Photoshop, is I'll open Photoshop on my Mac and I'll use AstroPad and and use the the pen control to to do drawing um, through, uh, using the, the iPad as the graphics tablet, like site like a Cintiq. Anyway, I'll, I'll look up that link that uh, Tammy sent over. I could have sworn I downloaded it. I wasn't very happy with it, but uh, yeah. All right. Um, so another quick follow-up. Yeah, this is a quick hit. It's just a quick a video that was put up on by The Verge on the bottom of one of the pages that, that Jaime was just talking about, or we'll talk about, uh, from a guy named Russell Brandom, um, talking about just some quick points about the GDPR. It's a little two-minute video. If you're still not sh- it, it, I think that the, what caught my eye was it said WTF is the GDPR. So um, they talked about, you know, like uh, fine, it started on May 25th, which we talked about in the past. Um, if anybody from the EU says they want, you know, their data back, you have 30 days to respond. And the fines, which which don't really bother smaller companies, well, I guess it bothers everybody really, uh, is 4% of your global revenue, which which is why people like Apple and Google and the big boys are, are concerned about that because 4% of their revenue would be quite quite a hefty fine, right? Yeah, and that's why we're, we've talked about this before. This is why we're getting all these per, um, permission uh, requests within um, various websites and apps and stuff like that that we're using. And you're going to just see more and more of that because of this GDPR. It's the first, I think it's the most strict um, 
thing that's come out. Anyway, so that's just a quick one. If you're if you're still confused about the GDPR, is this a quick little video summary of what what is it all about? All right. Um, I posted here too that, uh, and I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but an ex Apple engineer. This is why it's interesting follow up for our show. Is an ex Apple engineer has been arrested on his way to China. He was sit- he was about to get on a plane, accused of stealing Apple's um, autonomous car secrets. So he had taken a job at uh, a company in uh, China, and uh, they claimed to know nothing about this, of course. Um, but yeah, he was he, he you know he had a thumb drive and he had downloaded some some documents from uh, from the project. Um, yeah, he was going to go over to Xiaoping Xiaoping Motors um, in uh, China, and uh, yeah. So I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but uh, yeah, I did see that article. Yeah, yeah. so it was about um, five thousand employees out of Apple were disclosed on the project out of one hundred thirty five thousand. So um, yeah, so it's uh, interesting stuff. So it kind of in one way kind of confirms our what we've uh, suspected about Apple. First of all, getting into a car market, but also getting into autonomous vehicles as well, right? Yeah. By the way, it's uh, Xiaoping, which is mm-hmm. which means small friend. Xiaoping. Oh, right. Uh, Xiaoping. The name of the company. Yeah. Okay. I forget. I keep forgetting you, you did that Mandarin thing. Yeah, yeah. And what's the what's the what's the the city it's in? Uh, Guangzhou. Uh, I don't know. Let me look it up. Third paragraph in the article. So I had my head my finger. Guangzhou, on probably, probably how that's pronounced. Oh, it's, I don't know. You probably on... just insulted your wife's dog, <laughs> right? Like, well, the tone for sure. The complete lack yeah. of tone I put yeah. in there but it makes a completely difference. But I'm thinking about uh, Star Trek Discovery, the Shenzhou. Oh, Shenzhou, yes. Or Shenzhou, which was very difficult to to get because it's pronounced several different ways. But I just listened to uh, Michelle Yeoh's character and how she pronounces it. Ah. I assume it's correct. Can't open that article because I don't subscribe to the Washington Post. Really? Oh, no, you hit your limit. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, so certainly we'll have this in the show notes for those of you driving at home, but like Tim didn't talk at all about like how bananas this story is because this is like, um, uh, if you've ever seen the old like Pink Panther movie, but like imagine it was on the other side. And so instead of Inspector Clouseau sort of clowning his way around trying to solve the crime, imagine Inspector Clouseau was the person clowning around committing the crime. Um, I have no idea, you know, allegedly what was going through this person's mind here of like the way they approach this. Yeah, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, that's for sure. I'm not intending to give legal advice or or criminal enterprise advice, but uh, it it seems to me that if you were going to do this sort of thing, you wouldn't go back to Apple several times and let them know what you're doing. Um, And if you were looking to skedaddle out of the country, I probably would have driven to Vancouver um, and then taken a flight from there because then the U.S. authorities wouldn't be able to stop you, you know, stopping you at the airport at the very least. Nice. Guess he was voluntarily terminated. Not legal advice, right? Not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. So all, all I can think is uh, what's our what's our friend on um, Silicon Valley? Oh, Jin Yu. Jin Yu. It's like Jin Yu at the door saying, "It's my startup now, <laughs> or my <laughs> yeah. my incubator. It's my incubator now. Yeah, this is my this is my files. They're on my thumb drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I, I mean, I read it twice, and, and I just thought you know we should we should probably have a chat about it because it did seem a bit uh, interesting as well. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard this too. I posted this as well a couple of days ago that 11, you guys were talking about 11.4.1. Is that the current version, latest version of iOS? I think so, yes. Yeah, Yeah, I believe that's correct. Uh, Non-beta version, yes. Yeah, according to this article in Forbes, um, 
Um, um, according to this article here, some people are having some interesting um, problems with uh, this update. Uh, that they can, after installing it, they can no longer update any of their apps on the App Store. Um, so I don't know how that could be. Um, I've been ha- I don't know about you guys, but I've been having some weird issues with my developer accounts and um, things like that lately. And it all has to do with, you know, again, it's coming back to you. You have to have made a purchase on the App Store with the current card that's your thing. And anyway, so um, this is, according to a few people, is breaking their, their ability to download apps and there doesn't seem to be a fix for it. No, I don't know, it's just from July 16th, so just a couple of days ago. And you guys haven't heard anything about this? And you guys are both running 11.4.1, right? Yeah, I haven't had any problems. Yeah. I'm not running 11.4.1 because I'm afraid of this problem. Yeah. So I was about to update and then I saw about people having issues and I said, no, none for me, thank you. I will wait for the next one. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's pretty much why I, I, I sort of held back on it as well. So, by the way, we just had our first airplane fly overhead for you. So welcome We to are very close to, to Payne Field. So um, they're going to start passenger service here uh, nice. as a little aside uh, relatively soon with Southwest Airlines. And if nothing else, I can guarantee that it's 95% still likely that it's a Boeing delivery or customer test flight or something going uh, on right now. Right, cool. Well, we'll have to get the, the flight schedule so we can plan our, our, uh, our sound bites between them. All right, so you've got something here from The Verge, Hermie? Yeah, this is also follow-up because we talked about Memoji related to WWDC, and Apple decided to have some fun with its executive portraits on its uh, its uh, company page, and they've got uh, all of them. Uh, Tim Cook, uh, Johnny Ive, Craig Federighi, uh, and to varying degrees, they look better than others. As, as The Verge points out here, the um, Phil Schiller one is by far the one that is not even vaguely close. Yeah. Like, if you just showed me the Memoji, I'd be like, who's that? Yeah, I didn't realize the slider moved back and forth until I'm on my trackpad now with the Val Kilmer versus... Uh, so, yeah, I mean, first of all, I think we should have a, a um, daily groan section of the podcast. But um, And Tim Cook and Luca Mastrani look the same. They almost look like they're the same person with, looks like Superman putting on the glasses and becoming Tim, Tim Cook, you know? <laughs> yeah, there are kind of some, some limitations that, that folks are talking about with um, Emoji. Um, I think the Johnny Ive one is close to being the most spot on, especially with the fact that he's not smiling. Right. Just right. like he Johnny Ive never smiles though. in his. And I, I'm almost certain they did the the hairstyle that's in the Craig Federighi one specifically, so they could do Craig Federighi. Oh, oh true, yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's got that. Yeah, he's got the Hair Force him. One thing going on. We'll have to ask Tammy what she thinks of the Johnny Ive one because she she'd be the one to know for sure if it's passable or not. All right. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of silly, but you know what are they going to do? They have to promote the emojis, right? Memojis. Yeah, they want us. They they they've got us talking about it, and they certainly are going to make um, mention of it. You know, come whatever the new iPhones get released in the fall. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's my that's my least the least desirable thing for um, downloading iOS twelve is to get my get a memoji of myself made. So not not. A, I mean, I don't think Mark's going to do it either, right? Pretty unlikely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. But I would counter and say, like, this is how they get people to install critical security updates. No, right? This true. is this is the equivalent of like those pill pockets for your dogs, where you want to give them a pill of medicine, but you got to put it inside of like you know an Oscar Mayer wiener or something. It's it's that sort of concept. That's that's what they're doing. They got to give you a little bit of sugar to go with the medicine. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we already have our really cool South Park characters. Why do we need new ones? Right. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, um, so yeah, moving on to the 
the main part of the show. Here we are. So, yeah. So I think what it was like minutes after we recorded our last show that Apple reduced, released uh, the new Mac Pros. I think like we, we finished recording at like probably midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And then by like eight or nine in the morning, Apple had introduced this this uh, press release about the new Mac Pros. So even though we were talking about the future of Mac Pros last MacBook week. Pros. Huh? MacBook Pro. Yeah. Yeah. MacBook Pro. Sorry. I misspoke. There is no Mac Pro. There is no spoon. Um, yeah. So this is Apple's own press release here that I've, I've got here linked in the show notes talking about these new machines. And I mean, there was a buzz at, with the guys at work about the, you know, the, the six core processors and the, you know, the faster memory, faster type of memory. They've added two true tone display here. Um, but what, what I found most interesting on the 15 inch is that you, for, for almost the price of the computer, you can get a, a four terabyte SSD drive. So that's a lot of data to, to lose to a glass of orange juice, you know? But yeah, what do you guys think about it? Huh. I'm, I'm of two minds because I've mentioned on this show that I was very interested to see what Apple was going to do because I'm uh, writing this MacBook Pro, this 2012 MacBook Pro into the ground. And I'm very, very fortunate that um, Mojave is going to be like barely runnable on this. Uh, it barely meets the cut. So that's, yeah, barely that's great. Um, so the, the fact that they have, you know, a spec bump that's pretty considerable for the 32, uh, 32 gigs of RAM and all the niceties that they've done with other bits, that's great. Um, apparently they've done some things to the keyboard that uh, Apple itself is claiming, oh, this is just to make it more silent. And other people are like, well, you kind of put a, um, you kind of put like a condom on each of these keys. And it kind of <laughs> seems like you're trying to keep dirt from getting underneath. So maybe, maybe it fixes the, um, you know, the single grain of sand blowing up your MacBook right, right. Uh, problem, or maybe it doesn't. And, and I'm, I'm slightly uh, a little gun shy here because I'm like, well, even though they added the, um, you know, this like warranty type program, I think these devices are not covered underneath it. And, and, and even if it was, I'm going, what do you well, mean not covered un- you- under the program? Uh, didn't they name the specific devices for the uh, the four years of additional? Uh, hey, if this thing breaks, we'll repair it for free. And if you've oh, already paid you for mean, repair, these, we'll, we'll these give you new money devices back. aren't. Yeah, no, no. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and so that's great that they have that now, but it's also a huge inconvenience if I run into that problem. That's true. Right, that's and all. if you remember, I talked about buying Apple Care at the time, and and I did buy Apple Care. So when my keyboard went bad, I would just send it in, and they fixed it without you know batting an eye. We've had. We've We've had, uh, I think, you know, we've probably bought 20 or 30 of these, um, of the, not this version, but the, the previous uh, uh, Touch Bar Max, and we've had, I think, three or four of them that have had have had serious problems with them, right? One, one, we actually got the whole logic board replaced, which meant losing your drive as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if these um, these drives are built into the logic board as well, because they're essentially like bigger iPads, you know, they essentially have one logic board with the memory and everything soldered on, and uh, once you buy them, they're not upgradable sort of thing. But yeah, the keyboard has definitely been a been a sort of a sore spot, right? Yeah, and that's why I'm like I'm I'm, I'm glad. Like, don't don't get me wrong. Um, I'm glad that these things came out. Uh, it's a little weird that this spec bump just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it makes me wonder because it's July. Like, well, are are we not going to see anything new coming out of Apple for uh, MacBook Pros in the fall? Like, no, I would think this is it. I mean, I'd say I think the you know usually when we get um last couple of times we've gotten. I mean, they announced the the Retina 15 inch at WWDC, but 
but the last couple of updates have come out have have sort of just um, uh, come out around WWDC, but not been part of part of the conference. Right. So Touch Bar, though, they talked about that last year, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that correct in WWDC in the keynote? I remember seeing that one. I don't remember if the the device has already been released at that, but they certainly talked about it in terms of developing for it. Right. Oh, this this year. Or, I mean, I'm not talking about. Last I'm year. talking 27. 20, what year are we in? 2017. 2017, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. First one in San Jose. But anyway, like, like to me, it's, the Mac Pros always sort of come out around around this time, and they, they kind of just right. slide them out the door, right? And you get a little press release, and, you know, they just appear as if by magic. I don't think they've had a Mac event other than, say, like at a, at a keynote where they've introduced a new device. But I'm pretty sure, no, no, I think last year, I can remember Federici playing around with the with the touch bar in the, you know, desktop demo, right? Last year, and I'm, I'm not talking this mm-hmm. year. WWDC, but anywho. Um, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I definitely had a Touch Bar Mac before WWDC last year. Did you? Yeah, I think it might have been 18 months. Because I, I kind of remember thinking it was 2016, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I, but, I, but I, like I said, I do remember uh, Craig Federighi showing how, or him or Eddie Q or somebody. Let me just look at 2017 and see what they announced. Well, they were probably, they were talking about developing for the Mac. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. new version of Mac OS X. Yeah. Anyway, keep talking, Jaime. I'll look the stuff up while you're talking. Well, I mean, so there are some, some nice things here. They talk about the T2 chip, which is uh, enhanced security, as well as, as they claim here, for the first time it brings, hey, followed by the word Siri to the Mac. So that's kind of cool. Huh. Um, the True Tone stuff with uh, the Retina display, that's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we mentioned the, the 32 gigs of RAM, which is is really nice. I highly recommend you you max out the RAM on any device you've got. Uh, Tim, you'd already mentioned, what did you say? It was two terabytes of uh, storage? Four. On the on the on the thirteen inch, you can get up to two terabytes. On the on the the fifteen inch, you can get up to four terabytes. So they come in two fifty six, five twelve, one terabyte, two terabyte, and four terabyte. The two fifty six is like the eight gigabyte phone. Right? Why would you like? I I can't. I couldn't even survive with two fifty six these days. I don't know about you guys. It would be a little rough. Let me see what it, I think. Mine's a five twelve. I mean, I have five twelve, and like I said, I'm almost I'm almost teetering on like you know twenty to thirty to forty gigs free at any point in time. Yeah, me too. I got a ton of music on my yeah. It's, well, it's not just music. It's uh, it's like for me, it's the the, the app um, show for uh, the sort of the, the recording of the shows and and the working files and stuff like that. But and and I find Xcode's own folder is uh, pretty pretty hefty, right? Yeah, it expands I, pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I do think this is why it'd be great if. Apple could make iCloud storage pricing just a little bit more sane. Granted, they they just did some pricing updates. That's great. But I think for a lot of what you're talking about, it'd be really, really nice to do sort of like Dropbox's, what do they call it? Like Infinity or something, Mm. where they keep a very shallow copy of the most recently used data. And I think you can manipulate it as well. Say, hey, look, regardless of when I've used this thing, even if it would have been booted out of the cache, I absolutely need this document to stay local here. I think that sort of thing would, would really help because it, it really shouldn't be an issue that, um, you know, hey, I can barely live with, with 512. And it's like, well, we've, we've got connectivity here. Most of the time, you know, you're not in a cabin in the woods. You're not on an airplane. You probably have decent connectivity. Why not just extend your whole set of information to the cloud, right? Like you guys talked about music and that's great. I, I definitely think having, you know, offline music, particularly even like, oh, look, power went out. So <laughs> 
I'm going to have to entertain myself somehow. Um, you know, using offline methods is great as a backup, but for day-to-day normal usage, something like a, an Apple Music is great, right? Like I just listened to the um, Westworld season one, by the way, pro tip. Um, it's a very good album to listen to while you're coding. It's not really, <laughs> you know, it's not really in your face. It kind of fades into the background. It's interesting. So it keeps your mind alive, but it's not so interesting that it, um, you know, it grabs your attention and defocuses you from, you know, programming. So highly recommend. And I just fired it up on Apple Music playing my HomePod. It, it was great. I don't have any of that locally. And it, it does mean that, you know, a wonderful Comcast decides to hiccup. Like, well, I'm going to lose access to that. So that sucks. But that normally doesn't happen, right? Right. Well, by the way, uh, some real-time follow-up here. I just found that MacBook Pro is actually released in late in the in the fall of 2016. So I was wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. it's close to iOS. Close, to, close enough, I guess, to uh, probably around when Mac OS whatever shipped. Um, but yeah, because they, they've got... Uh, uh, it was uh, announced at a press event. So they did have a press event in October 27th, uh, 2016, where they announced these guys. So yeah, you're right, Mark. You would have had a... So did I. Yeah. I think I had the first generation um, of the touch bars. I'm actually on the second version now. But yeah, and then, so this is kind of cool, this new one. Yeah, I think I think for me, I would absolutely be jumping on this if it wasn't for the recent history with the keyboards. Yeah, you know, for so me, the, the, the killer app is Touch ID. Like, yeah, just, just using Touch ID. Like, every time I'm at home and I'm... And I, I, Mark, I don't know how you feel about it too, but every time I'm at home and I'm typing in a password, or, you know, or I'm going to, or even opening one password, the fact that I have to manually enter in my master password is is a pain in the buttocks compared to at work where I just drop my, you know, either my index fingers or a thumb on the on the corner to wake it up and to authenticate one password and to, you know anything anything. I use it when I'm first logging into the computer in the morning from work, but yeah. during the day I don't use it for anything because I, I use the uh, wireless keyboard and mouse. Oh, so. okay, right, right. I'm not. My hands aren't on the aren't on the such bad. Yeah, and I think you mentioned that when they first came out that you didn't think you would be yeah. a, a, the target yeah. market for this because you're not like you would want to have Touch Bar on a on an external keyboard, right? Because you're, that'd be great. I'd actually probably use it if I if I did have yeah, it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I use it to lock my computer. I mean, sometimes I use it for the predictive text entry if I'm typing something out, but uh, not all apps support it really well. I mean, especially the the uh, Microsoft stuff is is sometimes brutal with it. But um, yeah, no, I mean, and, and more. And more I'm seeing more apps supporting the the touch bar so uh, it does it does have a lot of a lot of utility so there are some paradigms where it, it's sort of odd but um, yeah it's I do use it like if I'm on a phone call to you know to mute my microphone or to mute the headset or adjust the volume it's actually two taps to adjust the volume which is kind of annoying compared to an old keyboard right <laughs> where you have a plus and minus key right but yeah, it's. I mean, I'm. I'm. So here, here let's go around the table, like as, as we do, right? So for me, I'm debating between getting a 13-inch MacBook Pro or a 15-inch. Um, but I'm probably leaning more to the 13-inch because I like the the size, the form factor. There are some trade-offs because it has a slower processors. It doesn't have the extra video processing. I guess GPUs, and I guess there's a couple of um, uh, extra video uh, chips in in the Mac in the 15-inch line, right? Um, I'm. I. I, I as much as I would love to have four terabytes of space, I really, I really, I'm nervous about that much data and backing it up. And um, I'd probably go with a one terabyte drive myself. And I, and I will, whatever I get, will kick it up to at least 16 gigabytes of RAM. But again, I also worry in three years' time, are we going to be looking for more RAM as well, right? So, so for me, the 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 Touch Bar Touch ID is is the killer feature for me. And um, I'll probably look, I'm probably looking at a 13. And if not, I'll buy a a, a, um, a reconditioned refurbished uh, 13. 
Alpine from from the Apple Store, which is still considerably less money than than, than these guys. I think I, I priced it out around I think it's around three thousand Canadian, at least thirty seven hundred or something like that was where where the ideal Mac for me came out in terms of price. And just for for fun, I took a fifteen inch and put all you know the four terabyte drive in, and I think it came around up well over six thousand dollars, maybe seven or eight thousand dollars in terms of buying a fully blown out um, Mac, you know, with the, with the faster processor and the thirty two gigs of RAM and the four terabyte drive and all the options, all, you know, pulling out all the stops, right? So what do you think, Jaime? What's your what's your decision point on this guy? I think you're probably a, a no towards maybe. Well, I guess it depends on what time scale we're talking about, because I think I would like to buy, but I'm going to wait a couple months and see, you know, people get these in their hands, uh, particular podcasters get them in their right. hands and, you know, take them to the beach and shove them into the ground. And <laughs> does it still work after they, the garden you know, it, they yeah, buried yeah. it? Right. Um, and if everything looks good, they're like, hey, then I'll, I'll go ahead and, and click the purchase button. Uh, it, it literally is only just the recent keyboard uh, snafu that has got me hesitant. Otherwise, I'd probably be buying, um, I'm, I'm not looking at the store page, but I, I definitely would max out the RAM because if you ever want to run Xcode and Slack at the same time, guess what? Yeah. You need more RAM. So oh, that's true. I, that's I true. see that trajectory going upwards and onwards forever. So I would probably max out the RAM. And if I had to pull money off of somewhere else to pay for that, it's probably storage because I, similar to you, I probably don't need more than the terabyte um, and uh, might play around with the difference between the core i7 and core i9. Mm. Uh, the mm-hmm. kind of work that I tend to do probably wouldn't see a lot of benefit from having a uh, higher end processor because the processor I've got today as what is it six years old as it is seems pretty decent not gonna not gonna lie sure would like to see swift compile faster um but i don't think i'm gonna get enough of an upgrade on that so i, I probably wouldn't max out to the like sixty seven hundred dollars us or whatever it is the max pricing for the the imac or sorry macbook pro right, right. So I'd get, i don't have the store in front of me right now to, to try it out but uh, and and don't forget tim there's new leather sleeves for the macbook pro so that yeah, goes so I wasn't gonna mention as well those. And, yeah yeah <laughs> um I, I guess the pricing would be like three thousand to thirty five hundred for what I would be looking for. Yeah. Well, by the way, I just just as a side note, before we go to Mark, um, we I don't know if we ever talked about this before, but the the first generation of these guys back in twenty sixteen when we when we got them, we still had you know the twenty fifteen um, MacBook Pros with with just you know the, the button keys, right? Um, the OG ones, and we we took a build, we took our app, and we put and we have a lot of we had a lot of legacy code in there a lot, and we had some Swift in there. Um, and we put them side by side. We did, we did a clean and we cleaned the derived data folder and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we were starting from scratch and we told both the, the older Mac and the brand new Mac, Pro, MacBook Pro 15, to, to build at the same time, right? And it was clearly faster on the older computer, like by a minute, if it was like a two and a half minute build or whatever, right? Um, and I actually, I think I made a video of that at the time. I don't know where it is, to be honest with you, but um, what do you think about, like, have you, have you guys heard anything? Mark, Mark you work on both the, the your Mac at home and your one at work. What do you think about the speed of um, of the current versions? Well, I can't really do an apples to apples uh, comparison because the kind of stuff I do at the office is very different than what I do at 
at home. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, I feel the pain about builds more on my work machine, but at the same time, it's a it's a much builder, much bigger build system. So I can't really say that's machine related. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm due for a new machine, I guess. Uh, so I'll probably end up buying one of these. Although I'm sort of right now I'm waffling because it's because I I spend most of my time on my work machine. It's a little bit hard to justify buying a brand new one for home, but uh, but I probably will anyway. Well, would you consider buying a refurbished one? Because I've bought a few of them from the refurbished store. They don't come in. They come in a plain white box. They have a full one year warranty from Apple, and you can still add Apple Care to them if you want. If you're in that kind of market, um, I've yeah. never had a problem with a refurbished Mac from Apple. And you save like you yeah, know, it's interesting. I do. You save like yeah. three four hundred bucks depending on on how how high you go, right? I mean, something is yeah. only like one hundred fifty dollars difference, but yeah, that's the case. It's barely worth it. So I was looking the other day on the Canadian store, Canadian refurb store, that there's a thirteen inch with uh, a one terabyte drive with sixteen gigabytes of RAM, which is which I just said is the configuration I would want. The only thing, and it's a touch bar, right? Um, mm-hmm. For I think it was around three thousand dollars. So it was like seven hundred dollars less than buying um, a brand new one. And, and you know, you also have to factor in you have to add on sales tax and all that kind of stuff too, right? And then if you want it, and the Apple Care in Canadian dollars, I think it was around two hundred and forty dollars, right? So that adds up, right? Pretty quick. Yep. So so buying like the Carol's Mac little her little eleven uh, inch MacBook Air that we we got here, we bought that on the refurbished store and saved two hundred dollars for, and it was like it's a twenty thirteen MacBook Air, and it was like maybe six months after they had come out. So it was, what happens is people get them, and for whatever reason they they return them to Apple because a lot of times I think they don't understand what they're buying, but they, they return them. Maybe there's something wrong with with uh, the processor or a glitchy screen or whatever. But they're completely. They're, it's like buying. It's like buying a new Mac, like from a or like you know like, like you go to like a get a really clean used car from a dealer kind of thing, right? And again, Apple's you know warranty is second to none, and and they don't bat an eye about refurbished machines versus new ones. So it's a good choice. I recommend it. Real time follow up. I just priced out my MacBook Pro, so 15 inch space gray. I went with the uh, the base 2.6 gigahertz Intel Core i7. I bumped it up. Oh, actually, uh, well, I guess the same pricing for 32 gigs. I, I could have saved $400 by going to 16. Um, I went with the one terabyte SSD, declined Final Cut Pro 10 and Logic <laughs> Pro 10. Already got those. <laughs> and it comes out to $3,599 US. Yeah. So I think, it's the, I think same, is that a 15 inch? That is a 15-inch. Just double-checking to make sure that's what I clicked. Yep. That's not too bad. Uh, people were saying, okay, so let's max it out. So 2.9 gigahertz uh, Core i9, uh, 4 terabytes of storage is $6,699 US. Hmm. Well, let, me, let me do the same thing in Canadian dollars here. So we'll go to MacBook Pro. Did you did you upgrade the processor? Yes. Okay. So, uh, I chose the most expensive option for everything other than the uh, pre-installed software. Okay. So let me do the same thing. So I'm going to go 15 inch uh, the, you went to the 2.6 gigahertz processor page, right? And then, all right. So I'm starting at 36.99 is the base price. So I'm going to kick up the processor to the i9, the 360. I'm going to go to 32 gigs of RAM for 480. I'm going to go to four terabyte drive. So the four terabyte drive is is 38.40, which is I believe is pretty close to what I just said. I'm starting with right. So in Canadian dollars, not buying um, Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro, eight thousand eight 
$379. Oh. And then you add, Holy 240, add 249 you know, for Apple Care on that, you're pretty close to nine, nine, nine grand. That's Canadian, though. Yeah. Right? It's like Canadian tire money to you guys, right? <laughs> yeah, the in, in U.S. dollars, the absolute cheapest thing, uh, I think this is on the prior page, but I just swapped everything back down, is 2799 Right. Oh, really? For, uh, for, uh, mm-hmm. oh. for a 15-inch. That's the base model. That's the, yeah, let me, let that's me the base model. Uh, well, y- yes, yes, yes. Yeah, oh, I guess you would so did you go back to the original? Yeah. Two, are you looking at 2.6 gigahertz 7, or you, or you went back to the previous page? Yeah, for, for those of you wondering, that is a 2.6 gigahertz Intel Core okay, i7. Because the base price for us is 3199 That's for the 2.2 gigahertz with 256. Right, that's 16 gigs of, of RAM, 512 gigs SSD. Yeah, that, so this that's the higher end of the, of the, the 15-inch configs because there is a cheaper one, or less expensive one, I shouldn't say cheaper, less expensive one, um, that starts with 256 gig hard drive, which again, who in the right, I mean, I don't know, no no developer can survive with that. Um, and uh, and it's got the 2.2 gigahertz uh, six-core processors. So in Canada, it's 3199 in the U.S. Let me do the U.S. side. What did I say? Oh, yeah, you're right. I thought that was a, sorry, the layout of the web page confused me a little bit. I thought I was switching between 13 and 15 inch, but I was already on the 15 inch. Yes. Um, no, no, no. Oh, you're yeah. Right there. It's like a good cheaper 2400 $2,399. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at that one right now. So, yeah. So, we're talking about, tw- so you went from 2399 to six something? Uh, if I maxed everything out, yes. Yeah. So, I, 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 mind you, the, most of that money is is the four terabyte drive, right? Because that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's insane. It was, it was what, like $3,000? What was it? $3,200 additional. Yeah. So in your case, it's more expensive than the actual computer, the drive. And that's an additional 3200 So that's, you, you already got like, I don't know, whatever 512 is worth, right? That's insane. Apple's always been really expensive for their memory. But in, in this case, I'm pretty sure the, the, the uh, well, well, until we see a teardown, I guess, right? We won't know. Because um, in the in the uh, 2015s and earlier, the, the storage is actually on a separate card that you could swap out. But in these cases, it's uh, it's like the, like the iMac Pro. It's, um, um, built onto the motherboard, so no upgrade path for a pro machine. Can you believe it? Anyway, let's let's talk about the next item here, which is the most expensive or the ultimate dongle for, um, according to Mobile Syrup, for uh, the Mac Pros, and that's by adding an external GPU. And I think we, we talked, we may have talked about this, I guess, two years ago when they first came up with this idea, where you you buy a graphics card and you put it inside one of these external cases, and or it's done for you, and you plug it into the USB C port, and then you can support a, a larger monitor, like the LG monitor that Mark has, but you also get the benefit of having proper GPUs, like for gaming, which is one of the things that, that Macs get um, beat up all the time about. Um, and so this this particular one, thanks to Joe Triplinski for po- tweeting this uh, on Twitter, that's where I saw it, um, but this uh, this guy is sold through Apple for eight ninety nine Canadian, by the way. I don't know if it switches to the American dollars for you guys. Um, yeah, but it l- lets you have a, an external GPU for your MacBook Pro. So when you're at the office and you're doing your video editing or what have you, uh, you've got an AMD Radeon Pro 580 with 8 gigs of memory. Or running Create it, ML. Right? And, huh? I said, or running Create ML. Doing oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. So this is the Blackmagic eGPU, and there's also a cheaper version from a company called Razer, um, $300 US for 400 Canadian. And that one, I, I was reading through that, that one, you can actually, you can change the video card inside, so um, away you go. So so what do you guys think about the external GPUs? I'll, I'll shut up and you guys talk. I think it's 
it's a great idea. Uh, if you want to do anything, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like having a compute farm, except yeah, you just there's just one of them, and uh, a whole lot cheaper, and you can you can do a lot of the same kinds of things. Well, I'm assuming that it works seamlessly, right? Where you just plug it in, and uh, and your regular uh, CPU is able to farm out things like it would to its onboard GPU. I'm assuming it works that way. I haven't actually tried right, one. Yeah. Oh but yeah, yeah. Does, I think yeah, I think there's pretty, a circuit. Yeah. yeah, as I recall, there's some sort of circuitry in these new Macs that lets it do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like a data path or whatever? Yep. I said some, sometimes these things are limited by the bus, you know, the, the bus getting out of the machine, so uh, it depends on how fast that is. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, would, I guess this work would work as a 13-inch model, too, I would think, right? I would think so. Hmm. Let's go to Apple's page and see what it's compatible with, if anything. Anything else we want to say about the GPUs and the new Macs before we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this just literally in. This came in today, probably around, I just saw it around 3 or, four, three or 4 in the afternoon. Ben Geskin has posted uh, some pictures, which he's put the copyright on, so I don't know how he got these, but of, I guess, are these protectors that we're looking at? Or the front panels of these new phones? So there's a 5.8-inch phone, a 6.1-inch phone, and a 6.5-inch phone, and they all have notches, and they all have, like, narrow bezels. So this is, uh, I guess, a confirmation of the new uh, phone designs coming out? Looks that way. So everything will have the uh, true depth camera. Right, right. Yeah, and as they note, the the long rumored, and it seemed really weird. So um, apparently, it's real, and we'll we'll see how Apple ends up explaining it. The six point one inch is the LCD version. It's got a little bit of a thicker bezel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to be as nice, but apparently, it will be some sort of compromise in terms of um, you know being larger, uh, like the Plus model that we're assuming here, but um, somehow more of a of a bargain price than the comparably expensive iPhone ten. So so what size is the iPhone ten now? Is that a five point eight OLED? I, I think so, yeah. so, yeah. So these are two phones that are larger than the iPhone 10 currently. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to me how the the 6.5 inch, I mean, it's it's noticeably bigger. Um, like if you yeah. took out the 6.1 in the middle, it's noticeably bigger than the 5.8 inch iPhone 10 panel. But it makes me wonder how much bigger is it really? Like the, you know, the old plus models were night and day different between yeah. them yeah. and the non plus models. And I've, I've liked the iPhone 10 because it, it feels like a much bigger screen, not as big as the iPhone, or sorry, the uh, 6 Plus or 7 Plus. Not quite as big as those, but bigger than the iPhone 7 or the iPhone 6, but without making as harsh of a trade-off in terms of pocketability, right? Like I could never really sit down with the iPhone 10, sorry, uh, iPhone uh, 6 Plus or 7 Plus in my front pocket for very long because it'd be uncomfortable. So you'd always have to take it out and put it on the table or hold it in your hand or something. The iPhone 10, I never have to worry about it. It's just small enough to be comfortable in the pocket for an indefinite amount of time. Right. So I, I kind of wonder if if the 6.5 inch, if it gives up just a little bit of pocketability, but not enough to be uh, sort of annoying the way the Plus model was. Right. Yeah. I find it has that neutron star density, though. It seems to be, seem, for some reason, it seems to be heavier than the other phones. Oh, for sure. For sure. They sprinkle a little bit of that uh, neutron star dust like they, <laughs> yeah. they shaved off of the uh, the uh, Mac Pros. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what about its coefficient of friction, Tim? That's true. Hey, you know, it's funny <laughs> you say that because I, and they I'm always weirdly slippery. About, you know, I've always complained about the, the, how slippery these new phones are. So I, I had my iPhone 10 out at work and I don't have it in the case. And I was sitting in a meeting and it kept sliding off the table and off my book yeah. and <laughs> hit the floor a few times. By the way, there's a guy here on the tweet here, Jaime, whose name is Jaime Lopez. Did you see that? What? If you scroll in the, down, in the scroll down in the in the. Um, oh yeah, what is that about? At Bite Films. 
Huh? Hmm. Film. Stealing my identity here. Yeah, Dev without the hair. He's got uh, he's got a very good uh, profile photo. <laughs> no mustache. It's though. moody and atmospheric. It's like Jaime if Jaime if Jaime <laughs> shaved. So he's he's building his uh, reputation on your name there, Jaime. I know. Look at that. Got 104 followers already. He's catching up. Oh, he joined in 2014. So interesting. I wonder if he's a developer. Oh, um, the weird thing to me is that whatever material the cover or the uh, exterior of the iPhone 10 is made of, it's not slippery in the hand. I've never had issue with that. But you're right. right. Yeah. On, on other materials, like desktop-type materials, it's weirdly slippery. Yeah, very strange. And that extra neutron weight makes it want to slide to the floor much, much more efficiently. Well, so I guess we've got the new sizes, right, that we were wondering it, about. It looks like a confirmation. We've seen these sorts of panels <laughs> coming up before around this time of the year, and it doesn't look crazy. It looks it looks legit to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, though, when you think about it. Um, you could do this. You could make this image with 3D rendering software, like Blender or, or you know, uh, StratoVision or something like that. Like you, could, you could totally make a, make something look like that. So just saying, just saying. But no, I, I think... Yeah, well... I think these are legitimately leaked, you know, fake news images. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do you got here about uh, Google, our friends at Google there, honey? Yeah, this is also breaking news today on uh, Wednesday, July 18th, that uh, the European Union said, guess what, Google, you owe us uh, $5 billion in fine money for violating antitrust law, specifically by requiring phone manufacturers to pre-install the Google search app and Chrome browser on, oh, really? on Android uh, as a condition um, uh, the the carrot that they they held over people was like, hey, do you want the Google Play Store? And of course you do, because you kind of have a useless or nearly useless Android device if you don't. Apparently, they're also sort of mad about the uh, making payments to certain large manufacturers and mobile network operators on the condition that they exclusively pre-installed the Google search app on their devices. That really? that one I think is more of a European thing. That that wouldn't be as big an issue in the United States. The other thing that would be is, uh, thirdly, Google ran afoul of laws by deterring manufacturers from using Android forks. Specifically, by being like, look, you, you, if you do a fork, you can't have any of our, our great apps. And we can see this out in the market and that there really aren't any viable Android forks with the exception of stuff coming out of Amazon. So if you're not a gigantic corporation that owns uh, 49% of U.S. e-commerce and like 5% of all retail in the United States, uh, you too can create a viable Android fork. Otherwise, you're probably like Cyanogen, who had the very popular Cyanogen mod um, that has subsequently fizzled out for the most part. So it, it's very interesting that, that the EU takes antitrust in sort of a, a different tact than the United States does. But um, boy, oh boy, $5 billion is uh, is a considerable fine there. So we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with uh, you know Google, of course, will appear. Appeal. Very interested to see what this ends up doing if it if it gets upheld at some point in the future, or even if not, I'm sure Google would sure would like to avoid you know multi year, multi million dollar lawsuits that it has to defend against. So it might change their strategy somehow. So is this antitrust because it's multiple multiple vendors as opposed to like in the case of Apple, who also install their Safari browser and their whatever uh, Apple stuff? Um, is it because Apple's only there's only one vendor for Apple that they can't really sort of be seen to be in an antitrust position? versus, um, you know, various manufacturers like that would make Android devices? That's a very interesting question because it, it sort of gets at, at two different aspects and that uh, are like two different questions that I'm not really sure because I'm not in the European Union. I don't know how they consider... Lawyer. 
life different. Yeah, I'm also not a lawyer, as we mentioned before. Um, I do know for at, le- at least one part tends to be related to a difference in how the European Union and the United States consider antitrust. Like what what's the the metric by which they determine that antitrust um, is occurring? And for the United States, that is overwhelmingly based on pricing. Prices go up. Okay, we need to start looking to see if antitrust is occurring. If prices are down, they generally tend to not really care too much because their thing of, you know, is the consumer being harmed is related to is pricing high or low. The European Union in general, from what I understand, tends to be focused on is competition occurring regardless of what pricing looks like. So they they would prefer not to have somebody with 90% of the market in absolute free pricing. They want a relatively equal or, you know, competitive market, I should say. So that's the one aspect. The mm-hmm. other aspect is, is kind of interesting that you mentioned because people like, I'm sure it's probably in, in these uh, comments below would be like, well, but I, like I can't choose, you know, different thing from Safari and I, you know, Apple has blah, 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 blah. I was like, well, but Apple is making its own product, right? And, and independent of the fact that it's not, um, you know, at least globally is not the leading operating system. That's easily an Android, right? It's like 80 plus percent. For Android, since Google doesn't actually really make the devices, it, it does now, but it certainly didn't when uh, these issues first came to light. It's a little bit more like the Microsoft situation where, yeah, Microsoft didn't make PCs, but it was sort of that middle layer there of like, hey, you want to make a PC? Guess what? You got to pay money to me and, and very similar to, to Intel. So I wonder if it's viewed a little bit differently of like, look, you're like throttling the whole industry versus Apple. You know, if people decide they don't want to pay, you know, a thousand dollars for an iPhone 10, well, they can go buy a $200 Android phone. And right, right. Maybe the EU looks at that differently. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how it plays out. Like I said, interesting stuff. Alrighty, so I guess we're at the uh, tail end of the uh, discussions, right? So it's time for the Picorama, Picatola. I think so. Aaron Von Pixter. So, Hami, what do you got for us today? This is a tweet by, um, hopefully, friend of the show. I don't know if he actually listens or not, but I've certainly enjoyed his uh, his technical talks at the conferences. This is uh, Rob Napier, and his tweet was about how he's learning about the, uh, what are we calling this, Z command? Is that what we decided on? X-E-D? Well, yeah, I would pronounce the, it Z, but then I'm, I'm in Canada. We have Z as a character in our alphabet. Right. <laughs> so that is the uh, Xcode text editor invocation tool, and uh, if you you are on the command line, you can run XED and it will fire up Xcode. Or if you happen to be in the project directory, uh, and we were talking about this before the show, I, I think there's some slight difference between having a project file versus a workspace file. Um, I tried it on one that has a, just a project file. If you do XED space and then dot or period, it will fire up Xcode and launch that uh, that project, which is, is pretty nice. Um, it's not you know like life-changing, but as somebody who tends to use the command line for, uh, let's say, manipulating things with uh, different Git branches or Git forks and whatnot. It would be kind of nice to like not have to take my hands off the keyboard to also fire up Xcode once play. All right, you know, stashment changes, change to uh, switch to another branch, and then fire up Xcode again. True. Yeah. This is great. It's a time saver for sure. Yeah, it's cool. And by the just as we were talking about before the show, that I discovered, I, I thought about this for a minute because the command is as Rob's got it. The thing is 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 you know XED or Z, and then a period to sort of 
have run it in the current folder is what that means. Um, so I guess it would look for a project in in the folder. But if you're running a CocoaPods uh, or I don't know about Carthage, but with uh, but if you ha- if you have to run with a workspace file, then you you can if you if you as he says in the, the, the instructions there, if you run man uh, xcd on in your terminal, it'll tell you that you can actually also name a file that you want to open specifically, right? So and so when I tried it, I tried it with uh, you know dot my name of my project dot you know xc workspace, and then uh, then it opened up the my CocoaPods and everything automatically by opening the workspace. So cool command. It does it did seem to be faster, but I think uh, I tried it a couple of times once with the document open or with Xcode open already, and then uh, a couple of times with Xcode actually closed. But Mark, you were saying it doesn't work for you at all, right? Which is weird. Well, I got it to work finally. Oh. Uh, it turns out what was happening is that um, one of my paths was pointing towards the command line tools of Xcode. Oh, okay. Uh, so I was getting an error message saying it, it couldn't uh, it couldn't load because of that, but uh, I figured out how to fix that. Did you have to do that Xcode select thing? or? Yeah, you have to do sudo Xcode select dash S and then the path. Yeah, to tell it with which Xcode to run, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I would assume it would run whatever whatever one's registered as the Xcode on your machine at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's how you change from, like if you were running beta or, or standard stuff, uh, you would use the X, X, C, X, is it X select to tell it which uh, Xcode, Xcode to use? Hmm? Yeah, Xcode dash select. Xcode dash select, yeah. Okay, cool. So what else you got for us, Jaime? I am going to toot my own horn here mm-hmm. and choose choose my own uh, video of my conference talk, the one I gave at the We Rise Tech Conference in Atlanta recently, mm-hmm. uh, last month. Hotlanta. And it's Hotlanta, exactly. And it's, uh, what's my age again? It's uh, 39 minutes and five seconds of me doing the, uh, not only the, the, the talk itself, but also some discussion with the attendees about about the technical aspects and about the societal aspects right, yeah. of that. So, so check it out. It's uh, I hadn't heard of this. It's uh, recallact.com. They are apparently um, folks who will produce these kinds of videos. I, I guess that's probably what the conference was using, I, assuming it's local to the Atlanta area, because I looked at their video library, and it includes a lot of content that's from local meetups, uh, meetup groups oh, nice, in the yeah. Atlanta, Georgia uh, metro area. So uh, video sounds really nice, looks really nice. I was very pleased about that. Um, I don't know what to say, but uh, check it out. Maybe during uh, during your lunch break. Well, for those of you who are worried about it, it's not really that long. I watched it. It was probably about 25, 30 minutes of him talking and then 10 minutes of questioning. So it's not, not as long as he makes it sound. Uh, however, though, there is a bit of fact check involved. Um, he does mention that the photo, uh, which I took of him, um, that he used as in, in, the, in his demo, he thought it was taken at 360i dev. It was, in fact, taken at Chateau Montebello in Quebec um, in on April 12th at 12.15 at exactly 1.31 p.m. So I guess technically, Jaime, you could figure out exactly what your actual age was at that point in time and then see how close uh, the prediction was, right? <laughs> yeah, although it would only be a difference of a year because I assumed it was 2014. Right, right. And you're telling me it was 2015, so it's pretty close. It's, it's still way off of my... Um the age that uh, Watson ended up thinking. Yeah. So, what, what age did it think it was like? Tw- something like between twenty and twenty-five, or something like that, right? Yeah, it was like twenty-five, twenty-six, something like that. Right. Right. Surprising. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Interesting talk. Um. All right. So yeah. So today. Uh. Today. Actually, I think it was today or yesterday. Um. I talked about Beyond Meat. Um. Vegetarian burgers a couple of weeks ago, and that our uh, our A and W here in Canada is uh, introducing them. And the headline says, "Mmm, plant-based." That doesn't sound very appetizing. 
surprising to me. But uh, and apparently the 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 bleeding that it does is actually beet juice. So it, it looks very very much like I, I mentioned before. It looks looks like hamburger. It cooks like hamburger. Like it sizzles on the thing, and it has the same sort similar moisture content. And I think the end product is very similar to hamburger in my opinion, compared to the cardboard that they call veggie burgers. Right? Uh, I'm not a vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just you know I I, I just play one on a podcast. But um, yeah. So and apparently this Beyond Meat product is being served up in 925 restaurants around the across Canada. It looks like, um, or is that just A and W? Anyway, so we took it for a test drive today because uh, there's an A and W just up the street from our, our office. So the three of us went up there. Um, they got to hear my spiel about Beyond Beyond Meat. Um, I was worried that A and W would screw it up because you know it's a fast food joint and and I don't know if these things are frozen before they get them or what have you. Um, but yeah, it was in my opinion it was excellent. It was what I expected. It wasn't as good as the very first one that I had at a, at a private barbecue, but um, uh, it was it was uh, very tasty. There's a fly on my microphone again. Get off my microphone. Um, go away. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, the um, yeah, so it was very tasty. But that said, uh, my two compadres uh, were not impressed at all. Um, they they were they did felt they felt like they were full after eating one of these burgers. One of them bought uh, a burger and just had it with ketchup because that's how he likes his hamburgers. But he also bought some chicken strips just as a backup, and he ended up going to the chicken strips almost immediately after taking a couple of bites. And my other buddy, he did finish his too. And like I said, they were sort of meh was their opinion of this this uh, thing. But uh, for me, who's you know health conscious, diet conscious, um, could use a few could stand to lose a few pounds. This is a perfect substitute for the turkey burgers and the chicken hot dogs that my wife feeds me all the time. So, yeah, I'm I'm all about the uh, Beyond Meat. So it was a very very pleasant uh, thing. So I, I encourage you to at least if if they sell them at your AWs to go and try it out. I I kind of wonder what people would think if if you gave them one without telling them what it was, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, is it actually any healthier than a regular burger? It's it's definitely better for the environment, right? That's yeah. No, I think idea. I think because it's not well, this whole the whole debate about fat and um, red meat uh, is is a, you know you're supposed to like I mean I'm at the age where they sort of tell you to cut back on the fatty foods and the and the red meats and things like that like you know, so I'm I'm sort of all about chicken and uh, roughage and vegetables and stuff like that now and in, in sort of my diet and you know not so much sugar you know so I don't I don't put sugar in my coffee anymore and all that kind of, I you know have a little real I mean I do go off the wagon all the time but but yeah it's um you know I think I think it is a healthier healthier thing it's more like having salad and roughage than it is like having you know a burrito or something like that where you got the rice and the carbohydrates and all that kind of stuff right so i mean there is still a bun involved right so there's the whole carbohydrate aspect there so but you know i uh that said i was at, at that private barbecue i was at one of the people because you know how you get the iceberg lettuce and they you can get the hamburger or the burger where you put the burger meat on, on the iceberg lettuce instead of instead of a bun so she had hers that way and uh which is kind of interesting because i know people do that in restaurants and, and things in and out they call it protein style what do they call it protein style protein Style. Yeah, I think I think what it is 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 I mean, so my daughter is a vegetarian, and I used to always tease her when we'd have barbecues, and then they would bring me these little veggie burgers for her to, to hook cook up on the for me to cook for her on the barbecue, and they already have the grill lines burned like printed into them, 
you know, like, do I really need to heat this? You just kind of heat it up, really. Um, and and they're made out of like soy, or they're made out of like bean, or you know, they're not they're not super. And and a lot of them are like cardboard. To be honest with you. So so this is this is an enjoyable tactile uh, uh, thing. So I have, to, I have to find more about the. Um, I think in the website that I posted last week or two weeks ago, they talk about the nutritional aspect aspect of it, Mark. But I don't really know off the top of my head. But I assume it's healthier because hey, it's more expensive, right? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, that's cool. So my other pick is is uh, and we talked about this a bit in, being a bit of show is um, so Seraph Labs. We Tammy and I had the the um, managing managing director of Seraph Labs on Roundabout about six months ago talking about uh, the release of Affinity Photo for iOS. Uh, they also have Affinity Designer and Affinity Photo for Mac. Um, I think I have one or two of them. But again, it's it's meant to it's kind of taking on the very similar style to Photoshop with layers and and uh, filters and and lots of different drawing and, and uh, painting effects like brushes and tools and they all support the uh, Apple pencil of course so but the, the news is that affinity designer came out last week and I believe it was and it may be for a few more weeks um, I'm not sure about now but um, I've linked an article here from uh, iMore where they've, they've done uh, everything you need to know about uh, affinity designer for iPad uh, it was at an introductory price uh, it says four Forty nine ninety nine uh, on their article, so I guess maybe the special introductory price is over. But yeah, I do encourage you if you're uh, interested in working with um, various types of files. Oh, interesting! It opens Photoshop files and encapsulated PostScript, which is what I was kind of wondering about. Um, so uh, let's see. If it's oh, it's currently priced at ultra affordable thirteen ninety nine. I assume this is U.S. I don't know if you guys can check the Apple Store. Yeah, oh no, maybe he's talking about the app. Oh, sorry, the Mac version is four nine forty nine ninety nine. The uh, iOS version is thirteen ninety nine currently, as we record on July nineteenth at twelve a.m. Um, yeah, so I I, I downloaded it. Yes, thirty percent off is what they say the price is right now. Uh, by the way, it was nineteen ninety nine Canadian for those of you buying in Canada. Um, but yeah, I really encourage you to give this this app a try. Again, it has vector tools if you're into doing Bezier kind of work, but it also has all the it has a uh, a, a vector mode and it has a um, uh, a, a raster raster image mode or a bitmap mode um, and it's the, uh, watch the little introductory it comes with tutorials and stuff like that so you're not like in in complete dark but uh, the the introduction video kind of goes through the different um, modes they have for using it I forget what they call them different modes um, but yeah you can switch before uh, switch between you know pixel based um, and then there's exporting uh, modes and brush modes and layer modes and all kinds of other, I'm totally butchering it up. Sorry about that, people from Seraph Labs. But um, very interesting app, a good illustrator tool, or illustration tool, I should say. Uh, give it a shot. Questions, thoughts, nothing? Is it the sort of thing where it's accessible to folks like me who don't have a ton of uh, experience at Photoshop and, and Illustrator and other more professional tools? Yeah. You, uh, or is it like really geared towards that, you know, hey, I know what I'm doing sort of well, professional? You know, in all the years that I've been in consulting and, and graphics and, and work working with people um, uh, using Photoshop and stuff like that. Um, it, Photoshop is, it, it, or these ty- types of apps, Infinity Designer included, like I'm not I'm not pretending that I know everything about the app already. I'm going to have to spend some weeks with it. But f- these type of apps are very deep in terms of what you can do with them. A lot of people kind of come at these things with, with one sort of intention and they learn a couple of skills on them and that's kind of sort of where they go with it, right? Um, you're not, you know, like the, the example illustrations that they have here on this webpage, these are 
these are quite well drawn out things. The person who who made these things um, has got a, a deep illustrative illustration background as well as an understanding of the tools. He's probably using a lot of Bezier's and, and uh, fill tools and things like that to build these complex looking illustrations. What's interesting, they come with sample images that you can you can dis- de- you can deconstruct. Like you can see how the layers were made. You can see how the effects were made. Um, but I think that yeah, I think it's it's a good tool. I mean, like even if you're doing like icon design, Jaime, for an app, right? Um, you could probably go in there really quickly and, and throw together, you know, a couple of square icons. Like, you now you have to make the 1024 size icons for Apple for the marketing, right? Um, you could go design your design your um, your logo for your app, and then you could uh, you can probably export it out to all the different sizes and stuff like that as well. So, but I think on an iPad to be able to have this kind of powerful app on an iPad is is amazing, and I think it really lends it as well. Like like we've been saying for the last couple of years or so, we really want to see some pro apps on on the iPads and specifically iPad Pros, right? So again, you know, pencil support and all that kind of stuff as well, right? So I think I think you know even for yourself, I mean, it, it would be a good investment to sort of um, give it a shot, give it a shot, right? Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would definitely steer you towards the iPad version because then you're only throwing down, you know, you know, less than less than uh, a meal <laughs> in terms of how much uh, less less money than a than a, uh, a Beyond Meat A and W combo with uh, drink and fries um, for this app, and um, you know, fifty dollars for the uh, fifty dollars US for the uh, the Mac version. That's still a great price when you consider, like I said before, that um, you know, Illustrator or Creative Suite for um, for the Mac is uh, what I was buying. It was like twenty four hundred dollars or you know seventeen hundred dollars for a yearly upgrade, and now they've gone to the either uh, I think it's twenty dollars a month for one single app or forty dollars a month for the whole the whole uh, Adobe Suite. That's a great deal still, but if you're not into you know the Death by a Thousand Cuts uh, version of subscriptions, um, then this works out pretty well. So it's a good good you know one time sort of purchase, right? Do we already talk about this on the show? I thought it was was well. Design, this one, one just came out. Well, she may we may have talked about Affinity Designer on the Mac. This is Affinity Designer Designer on the iPad, which has just come out, right? They've been t- they were oh, they, okay. Okay. they I know they announced it, and, and I, I did pick an Affinity Photo uh, as a pick a while ago too. By the way, mm. um, I was talking to a friend of the show, Mark Pavlidis of Fix Flixel, uh, the other day at our meetup, and I asked him because they switched over to a subscription model, and I had some in- he had some interesting things to say about what they've decided to do in their product. You guys want to hear about that? Sure. Okay. So what he what he said was uh, they so uh, Flixel is an app that it, it does cinemagraphs, and those are the, the you know we have a, it almost looks like a still photo, but part of the photo is is moving. So it's actually made with videos, but they they distill it down to a to a single image. So like you know like a balloon maybe waving in the wind or or something like that. Like it's kind of a it's a it's an artistic effect on a single still image, and it's more interesting than a single image, right? So their app they have an iOS app and they have a Mac app, um, and you buy uh, you can buy um, they had sort of a they were sort of gearing themselves towards a pro market, and uh, so I believe they had a, an iOS version and an app version, and then they've got um, a version where you can save your work in the, in they have like a file system file server system that, where you can store your work online and share between the two platforms. Um, so they had they had originally done it as sort of one price you know one subscription uh, price for all 
and um, so you could get the free apps, uh, get the free iOS app, and then you could, or you could, you could have the paid, you know, monthly subscription kind of thing. And they changed their tune a little bit, and they thought, well, they they looked at the numbers, and they found a lot of people on, are just using the iOS app, and then the whole another group of people are more are just using the Mac app, and then there's sort of professional photographers who are doing both, and then there's marketing people who have the whole suite. So they came up with a strategy of four different price levels. So they have like a you know the, the sort of geared towards I, the people who just want to use it on iOS. They have one price for that. And then they sort of basically have four different pricing models. And they're finding that that, that rather than just having one or two models for pricing the, and having the four, they're getting more, they're they're capturing more market, uh, if you will. Like uh, they're doing quite well with that, right? So I, I thought that was interesting. And I may have messed it up. Sorry, Mark. Mark Pavlidis, I meant. <laughs> interesting stuff, eh? Mm. Did we lose Jaime? No, I'm still here. I just didn't have anything insightful to add. So I stayed quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I just thought, you know, because we talked about subscription pricing in the past and uh, it's just interesting, like, to see what, what how it's working for some of the companies that are that are giving it a whirl, right? So there we go. All right. So I guess that's it for the week. So, hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, where do they look? Mark R at Snapsoft.com. All right. And how many people want to get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Okay. And as usual, I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. It's the best way to get a hold of me. And until next week, we'll see. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Had that instrumental. I think my sister had that album actually. Yeah, so that all the time. Never thought of it as a Chicago style, but well, you know, Chicago the band, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it had the the it was big time. Yeah, because it had the horns and it was kind of rock, but had horns and yeah, yeah. And Lighthouse was like that too. Remember the band Lighthouse? Or you may not know that. No, I don't know them. They had a song called "One Fine Morning" with a big long guitar intro. You should check that one out on YouTube. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> but, um, oh, there's Jaime. Uh, what was I just thinking about? You know, in the same sort of tradition as like Miami Vice, they had the same sort of thing. And, yeah. Oh, Tijuana Brass, that's what I was thinking about. You know, Herb uh, Alpert, remember? Herb Alpert, yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, Brass was, was big, big in the, in I guess it would be early 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even Before Dylan Casey and the Sunshine Band stole it. Tour. What's that? When Dylan did his uh, Rolling Thunder tour, he had saxophones. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. I just watched a, um, I just watched, uh, what did I see? Um, Don't Look Back. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah.
Did you have a documentary? Yeah, yeah. From around, yeah. I guess it was done right after like Hard Day's Night kind of thing, right? So mm-hmm. it was really yep. interesting to sort of see him as a young guy, and you know, it was like, it was like Spinal Tapping in some parts of it, you know. So. And they show the uh, they show him getting booed on stage. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't see him getting booed because he was still playing no. acoustic then. It was that's not that oh, was uh, yeah, that, was that came one. later, right? That's yeah. when he was dating Joan Baez, and right because I think she was an up and coming folky. He's still pretty folky, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was interesting to see him on his. I think it was his second British tour or something like that. Have you ever seen uh, Ry Cooter live? I have not seen him live. In fact, he just played here in Massey Hall a little while ago. This is a TV show, or sorry, radio yeah, show we listened to called um, Vinyl Cafe, and he wrote the theme song for it for which mm. people listen to. I like a lot week. of his old stuff. I've never seen him live. He's playing tomorrow and Friday in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then, uh, in August in Santa Cruz. So mm-hmm. I'm tempted to try to just scalp ticket and head up there Friday. Yeah, so, uh, we bought we bought tickets for David Byrne the other day through um, not StubHub but another one. Oh, Jonathan sent me a thing here. So if I can, mm-hmm. Oh, it's on my phone. Um, yeah, what was it called? Seats Now or something like that? Or mm. uh, it's another, but it was che- and it was cheaper than StubHub because Stub. I don't know if you guys know this, but or, or it's been revealed for you guys down there. But so Ticketmaster owns StubHub, right? So so what happens now is you you if you don't get the tickets on day one, um, it ends up going you know it ends up going on StubHub like immediately because if the scalpers buy them, they throw them on yeah, there immediately at high prices. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and then and then and then StubHub so Ticketmaster gets paid twice for the same ticket if you think about it right they get double commission right so I think fact I think the um, was it Rogers or something like that here in Toronto um, charged them back like because they because they know it's a, a known thing there was some sort of thing about them going to charge Ticketmaster back for doubling pro- making double profit on Blue Jays and Raptor games and stuff like that right yeah what well, I've seen that they they even have uh, tickets for non sold out concerts at Jack yeah. up rates like yeah, double yeah, yeah. the rate yeah. and it's just trying to catch people who don't you know who aren't paying attention yeah well like like now if you go to Ticketmaster and you know how you have the maps where you can b- pick out the seat mm-hmm. the red ones are are StubHub seats mm. right so you see mm. the blue seats which are the you know the first first sale of, of a seat and then, then so you, like you if you want to like so if you want to sit up close and you know to the band or you want to sit center stage or you know in the center of the center view or good view good sight lines or whatever you know people buy the tickets and they throw them back up on on StubHub right away right so I say people I'm doing I should be doing air quotes because I don't think they're people I think they're yeah. either bots yeah. or they're, they're certainly uh, the ones that are available on the first day right nobody is buying a ticket on the first day and then putting it on StubHub because because yeah, you, you don't know right if it's just a regular everyday scalper it's yeah. a lot of risk to do that I don't know people yes. in Toronto they make a good business at it. there's like you see the same people every week at every show like mm. in Toronto most most things most venues sell out right because mm. I mean I mean the big ones I mean like Massey Hall and, and yeah. Rogers Center I mean I just saw the Foo Fighters play at the Rogers Center, which is basically where the Blue Jays play. And I think it's, I want to say 30,000 seats or more. Because I know the Leaf games are 20,000, I think. And then for concerts. And then, um, you know, that's where usually big names play. But he was playing in, in, in Rogers Center, which is like amazing. Like selling out, you know, the, the 100 level, the 200 level, and the 500 level, right? Mm-hmm. So people were like, you know, my, at like half a mile away from the stage, you know, and people are paying like full 100 bucks or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, he, I, I threw some stuff on YouTube of him talking. He was staying in the middle of in the middle of the field. Like he had a, one of those walk gangplanks. And it was just him singing My Hero, but he was talking to the audience about, you know, coming to see Wait, the Foo who Fighters. And, huh? Who were you talking about? Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they just they just uh, filled uh, one of our biggest venues and sold it out. I mean, like, yeah. mind you, he wasn't charging like $400 a seat. He was charging 100 bucks a seat, right? Roughly. It was a good, good value. Great show. Really, yeah. really entertaining guy. If you get a chance to see Foo Fighters, definitely mm. go. So I'm going yeah. to see Jackson Brown in a couple 
Oyuks. Never seen. Oh yeah, I think he's coming through here too. Yeah, and then I'm going in. uh, In I think it's in August. I'm going to go see uh, Sticks. Oh yeah. With Gowan? Is Gowan? I think Gowan's a singer for Sticks now, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not Dennis DeYoung, but it is Tommy Shaw and uh, yeah. the guitarists. So yeah. that's that's really what I care about is guitarists. Yeah. They, they, I think they, well, Dennis DeYoung was a keyboard player too, right? But um, yeah. Yeah. They, they're on the outs with him. So. Right. Right. He looks like, to me, he looks like, I don't know if you've seen him lately, but he looks like uh, one of the actors from, uh, from, he looks like a Star Trek Klingon commander. Huh. Uh, I'm trying to think of the episode now. Jaime, help me out here. Well, um, are we talking TOS? or like how uh, how yeah, messed no, up does the, this the person Kling- look you know the Klingon the, the not Ridgehead Klingons you know um, just, just uh, he reminds me of somebody um, or maybe it was a Vulcan I'll have to think about it but yeah he def- when I see him on YouTube and stuff like that I think okay I think about the other the actor that in the in the maybe it is the next generation maybe he's a Romulan is what I'm thinking because I just I ima- imagine seeing the big shoulder pads you know I had to think hard to, to realize what TOS means I'm thinking terms of service what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. TOS, yeah, yeah the original like, series copyrighted here the OG OG Star Trek, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> OG Star Trek, yeah. You gotta, gotta keep up with Jaime and his hip lingo. Mm. He's hip and he's happy. His TLA is. I hear that as technical look ahead because that was something. Yeah. That... <laughs> okay. So what's what's TLA? Three letter acronym. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, we forgot to do the check thing last week, so let's yeah, do it now. Um, you should probably also add me as the backup recording piece oh, as well. Oh, yes, right. Jaime and the backup. Jaime and the backups. Good call. Since I don't have my second microphone hooked up. I thought they broke up back in 1968. <laughs> Jaime and the backups? Jaime and the backups, yeah. Yeah. I hate the way this window... It's like an auto layout problem almost. Okay, record on this computer. There we go. There we go. See, see if, uh, if that gets any, if that baits anybody to join. Mm. <laughs> we have a sign-up page for the alternate host. If we do, really? No, but we could start oh. one. <laughs> Tammy always gets mad at me if I ask Greg first, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, "Greg first. All right, fine. It's people it's all first. wondering about the order of things on this show. <laughs> <laughs> How do you mean? What do you mean? I'm teasing a little bit because we had the, uh, like, hey, how come Mark's always, like, last when I was proposing? It's because he's, like, the special star, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dr. Mark Rubin. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a podcast host frenzy on uh, Wednesday nights. Everybody clamoring to get in. And it's funny, like, uh, um, Marin sort of, he, he, he trolled us one day on, on one of the announcements that we're, when I posted the link there, and he's like, oh, I was tempted to join. The other day, and I'm like, I'm said, join, right? <laughs> I said, I'm not really a podcast host. I'm, I just play one on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, how, so how? What is the population of California compared to other states? Like, oh, it's by far the largest state in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I can tell by the yeah, we have something like 35 million people in California. Really? Wow. And it's. I mean, is it is it bigger than all of Canada? Actually, 35 million. Yeah, I think that's. I think that is the population of Canada. 34, see, 35. I put it into Google, and it says all of the United States. Wait, hold on. How old is oh, this? Almost 40 million, actually. California. That's bigger than Canada for yeah. sure. Yeah. 39.7. Million. Yep, Texas and New York are the next two biggest. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's a lot of people, and it feels like they're all on the same freeway as me every morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because it's funny uh, when I look at the stats for the for the show, right? Well, see, okay, I'm looking at I'm looking at this graphic, right? On I'm, I went to a list of U.S. states and territories by population on on Wikipedia, right? And mm-hmm. the if you look at this heat map in terms of where people live, like um, you know, California is like a real dark blue because there's 30 
38.4 million plus there. Um, you know, Texas is sort of, I guess, in the 26 million to 38 million. Florida is quite heavy. New York, whatever. The, and I look at the stats for the podcast. It's almost the same colors. Like California has always got way more. We have way more listeners in California than anywhere else, right? We have a lot in Tennessee, yeah. though. Well, which it's not surprising considering where the where the you know where the most tech heavy the tech is. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Let me look at this just to be sure. Yeah, looking at the the top states. Let's see. Well, there's. I was going to say where's the biggest drop first, and then from there. But there's already a large drop from California to Texas, from Texas to New York, less so from New York to Florida. Uh, probably the difference between number four and five between Florida and Illinois is a pretty big drop. So you go from about 18 to 19-ish million down to 12 to 13 million. And you can just keep following the chart all the way down to Wyoming, who has just enough to qualify as a million if we're rounding up by bankers' rules. They are uh, right around a half at 563,000. So Wyoming is kind of like our Nunavik. Nunavik, yeah. Nunavik. Oh, oh yeah. So as Craig, as Craig Ferguson used to say, I look forward to your letters. Yes, yes, I look forward to your letters. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm seeing here Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, Gu- uh, America, Samoa, Marina Islands, Wake Island, Palmyra, Atoll, uh, Midway, of course. It's from more, right? Oh, Baker Island. There's all these little islands and stuff, I guess, that are part of the United States, right? Hmm. District of Columbia has more people in the, than um, Wyoming. D.C., yeah. Yeah, my, my hometown of El Paso has more people than all of Wyoming. Mm. Wyoming's like a prairie. Well, they've got a buffalo on their, their uh, logo, right? Their flag. They are a uh, big sky state is what I think they are. Right, right. Well, you know why? Montana, isn't it? What's that? Montana's part of that big sky area, too. Yeah, yeah. that's when, you, when you're when you in Saskatchewan, that's pretty much all you see is sky. It's amazing how much sky there is there. would have been nice if I had an iPhone when I was going across the country. Take a picture of all that sky. Okay, so population to size ratio is probably best in Montana because they are number 44 in population with just under a million. Mm-hmm. And they're number four in area. They're, they're not that much smaller than California in terms of uh, square miles. Square miles, yeah. I guess Alaska's pretty good too. Might be pretty close. I'd have to calculate it out. Yeah, I think Alaska is probably better because, uh, at least according to the chart I'm looking at, Alaska has 710,000 people. Wyoming has 563,000 people. So, you know, maybe maybe 20% more. Alaska has maybe 20% more people than Wyoming. But Alaska has four times the land area of Montana. More than four times. Right. Almost five times, actually. And no reaction so, to No big shocker there, but if you don't like people, move to Alaska. What's that? I said no big shocker there, but if you don't like people, move to Alaska. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Or Nunavik. Nunavik, yeah. Nunavik. Yeah. Or Northwest Territories. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to drive through uh, Northwest Territories to get to Alaska, strangely enough. Oh, you know, I found the chart rank right. by population density, number of people per square mile. And uh, Alaska, wait, 51? What is 50? Oh, because number one is D.C. Okay. Mm-hmm. They went beyond states. Alaska. So rather than, let's say, Washington, D.C., where you have 9,856 and a half people per square mile, you have 1.2, 1.2 per square mile in Alaska, living alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes with a with a spouse, sometimes with a, a kid, I guess. Or part of a spouse, to get yeah. The, the more than one. 
Sometimes with the moose. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes with the moose. Yeah. <laughs> or a caribou, even, up yeah. there. I saw a moose the other day. Or, I mean, when I was down in, at the farm. On the screen of your map? No, no, no. I, a real moose. Like, oh. Well, because, I mean, the, it was full moon at that time of the, the month, right? And, and my sister-in-law came in and said, hey, do you want to see a moose? And I thought she said, you want to see a moon? So I just stayed at my computer and kept working, right? And they all everybody ran outside. And so I went outside, and it, it was a moose, not a moon. <laughs> but by the time I got out there, it was already behind in the barn and so I only got to see it for a split second. Not long enough to take my phone out and take a picture. Yeah. Pretty big yeah, pretty big animal though. Yep. I'm looking at uh, A&W locations. There is a couple of them. There are a couple of them kind of close. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything on their website about them having that Beyond Meat thing. Really? Eh? So this delicious Papa Burger or the Bacon Double Cheeseburger apparently uh, plain all beef. Yeah, it's funny. In, in if I, when I type, start typing A&W in, in Google you know how Google has that that um, well maybe this is what I was searching for but A&W Beyond Burger came up uh, second choice. They just opened an A&W around the corner from my house, too, which is interesting. Hmm. Open 24 hours. I could go have a Beyond Meat Burger right now <laughs> at 12.30 in the morning. Yeah, there you go. I wow. never knew what A&W stood for. It's the last names of the founder, Roy W. Allen, and employee, Frank Wright. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allen and Wright. Hey, so guess what? There's a Canada-wide shortage of vegan Beyond Burger due to extreme popularity. Really? Real-time follow-up. The patty is becoming increasingly hard to get a hold of. Demand for the vegan burger, Beyond Burger, in, Can- in Canadian fast food a- outlet A&W is so high, Canada is facing a nationwide shortage of the patty. That's a crisis. Never mind her emails. Mm. This is this is like a big big story now. <laughs> Gonna need some uh, strategic Beyond Meat reserves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Saskatchewan. Yeah, no, yeah, it's in Quebec. <laughs> On ice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yep. Yeah, launched on July 9th, building featuring lettuce, tomato, red onion, pickles, ketchup, mustard, uncle sauce, whatever that is, and mayo. Ditching the sauce and the mayo makes it plant-based. Oh, I see. The mayo mayo has egg in it, right? Interesting. I never thought that. that it didn't cross my mind when, they, when I got it. Yeah, look, there's signs in the windows. We are out of Beyond Burgers. Believe it or not. Who'd have thunk it, eh? People get excited about stuff, so we'll, we'll see if it lasts beyond the initial uh, oddity of it. I would I would guess, just given the yeah. population um, type, let's say like a Toronto in particular, that it would probably appeal to a lot of folks as being a nice vegetarian um, alternative. Yeah. Well, I wonder if- so I imagine it'll play really well on the coasts in the United States. But- it will be a kind of a harder sell in the... In in the Midwest, in the here, Big Sky area. It says here, demand for the vegan burger has skyrocketed in recent months. In order to meet this demand, the company is opening a new factory in Missouri. So if you're looking for work and you, you can't find work as an iOS developer, you can go make meat, plant-based meat. In Missouri. <laughs> in Missouri. 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 Interesting. So nobody said what it's made out of, though. It's also in Cor- uh, Kroger's in the States. Hmm? <laughs> made out of people. <laughs> made out of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to mute while I laugh. Um, yeah, so it began, it says here it began, what, what, 2017. Oh, so it came out last year, right? Um, it's in Kroger stores, well, starting at Ralph's, King Supers, Kroger stores, Fred Meyer. You can get it, honey. We have Fred Meyer here. Mm-hmm. That's owned by Kroger. Yeah, I think I think on the Beyond Meat, um, Beyond Beyond Burger, Beyond. I think it's called Beyond Meat actually, because um, we talked about it on the show, and, and I read off the names. Yeah, Beyond Meat dot Beyond Meat dot com. If you go there, Jaime, you'll find various locations. Are you Are you interested Ooh, enough to try it? You can get sausages. And yeah, stuff I think the of. you know. I mean, f- f- the fake food technology has 
changed by leaps and bounds in the last 20 years. Like this isn't the, the lame mm-hmm. veggie burger you would get at like Burger King where you could like see the physical diced, you know, carrots and other stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, Boca Burger and, and Morningstar. Morningstar? No, probably not Morningstar. All these other ones are like making all these um, competitive things of like, you know, I can't believe it's not chicken, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it, I think in any blind taste test, I would almost certainly be like, nope, this isn't bacon. Um, but yet there are people who in blind taste tests, apparently they can't tell the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi, which shocks me. Um, but yeah, I, I, well, let's try it out. So they're saying they're actually building meat from plants. That's the whole idea. They're building meat from plants, whatever. Moving the animal protein production chain simultaneously, blah, 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 blah. It's good for animals, too, apparently, just beyond meat stuff. (laughs) Uh, 16% less cancer, 21% less heart disease risk, 51% uh, greenhouse gas emissions driven by livestock. Uh, Yeah. Ooh, there's one in Albertsons not that far away from me. What's that, the Kroger place? or? Uh, I don't know if Kroger... Oh, dang it. This is not very back button friendly. Um, I don't know if Kroger owns Albertsons. No, I guess not because they're in a different pairing. It's so complicated to know who owns what because um, there are only like 10 consumer packaged goods companies and a lot of them own restaurants. Yeah. Um, like Kraft. No. Does PepsiCo own Kraft? Yeah, I think PepsiCo owns Kraft and Kraft owns all these other things. And like, you know, like Pepsi owns Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and KFC. Oh, I learned something today um, vaguely about Canada. So somebody, a new employee was saying how they're in Canada and the Costco's there have poutine. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, which I guess I guess makes sense here. Everywhere, the big controversy is that they're ending the uh, they're ending the uh, Polish sausage dog, which seems to have have, have caused an outcry from the masses. What did? Uh, Costco is pretty well known for its, um, beyond being like the, um, the wholesale warehouse, uh, very similar to uh, Sam's club. Yeah. Um, they also have like a, a tiny food court sort of thing where they have pizza, hot dogs, and I forget what else, but the, the Polish sausage dog is like a buck 25, $2 tops. And it's pretty popular, at least with people that I know. And, uh, Costco has decided to end it presumably cause it, it wasn't selling well, or they want to put something that's higher margin or something. I don't actually know the reasons, but um, it's causing some consternation to the point at which it is on the uh, the local news that, like, hey, Costco's ending this thing, and let's go talk to five different people who think it's a terrible idea. Right. Hmm. So you get the same amount of protein in one of these, in a, in a quarter-inch patty, you get the same amount of protein, 20 grams of protein, you get uh, twice as much iron, you get half the saturated fat, zero cholesterol, as opposed to 80 grams of cholesterol, uh, or milligrams of cholesterol, sorry. Um, um, it's still has fat, and it has the same amount of calories, so so much for being better, right? I mean, it, it's got to have flavor somewhere, and flavor yeah. means calories generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so the calories are pretty equal with, with animal-based beef, they call it here. Um, so it's plant-based, antibiotic-free, hormone-free, GMO-free, soy-free, and gluten-free. All the good things. Neat. Yeah, since this is at a relatively close grocery store, I think the next time I go, I have to remember to add that to my um, my shopping list. Yeah. In fact, maybe I'll add it now. Beyond Meat to the Beyond Burger. Hey Siri, add it to his meat thing. <laughs> cool. There's even a podcast. Wow. Everybody's got a podcast. They have a podcast? No, I'm just kidding. There's a, there's an audio interview with uh, the CEO. Oh, wow. What's that? There's many places nearby for me to get that. Mm-hmm. This one is 0.7 miles away. So they have a Bratwurst-style uh 
sausage. They have a hot Italian style, a sweet Italian style. Plus, they have the burgers. So they have one at the Walmart neighborhood market, then the Veggie Grill, then Safeway, then another Safeway, and then another Safeway, and then Target, then Knob Hill, another Veggie Grill, Sprouts. Pretty much all the supermarkets seem to have it. Whole Foods. Well, it started in California. I'm not surprised, right? Yeah. Well, I guess welcome to the Beyond Meat podcast. More than just meat. More than just meat. Welcome to the More Than Just Meat podcast. My name is Timothy, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by... Hi, Melifus. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Sorry, because you didn't say the... Uh... <laughs> No, I was going to edit it into the. I'll edit it into the other part. <laughs> Welcome to the Beyond Meat podcast. Yeah, for sure. All right. Speaking of Beyond Meat, I think I better uh, sign off for the day. Go find some water before you turn into a pile of meat. Huh? Before you turn into a pile of meat. Yeah, I need to go eat a. Well, don't you remember Tammy was talking about me being a big ball of meat that rolls around and picks up things? She was talking about that game. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Katamari Damacy. Yeah, that's exactly. It. She was talking about that that game where she she was describing. She says you're a big ball of meat. You're real. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm feeling insulted by what you're calling me. <laughs> yeah, that's a really <laughs> a really interesting way of describing. It. Yeah, yeah. She didn't say ball of meat. She said something else. Anywho, all right, folks. Uh, we'll talk to you later. All talk right, to you later. Bye. Bye. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.